0: We're going to be looking at John chapter 20 together this morning. On this first, uh, second Sunday of Easter, that's what today is. Every Sunday between now and Pentecost, the last Sunday in May, is Easter Sunday, part of the Easter season. And children, yes, you are dismissed. Thanks, John. Thanks for waving me down, saying, go, 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 go. It's awesome. All right, so... This morning, let me just begin by asking a question. If you're willing to, by a show of hands. Anyone here ever have any doubts about God? Okay. Doubts about God. Today, We're going to start a little two-part series, and I want to invite everyone, whether online or on-site, everyone who has doubts, everyone who is here today doubting, or anyone who has just checked the religious box. I just checked off my church box. Or anyone who secretly, no one knows, has given up on the faith. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that last Sunday night, April 9th of 2023, you were gathered. I want you to imagine that two days before that, on April 7th, you just witnessed the most grotesque and unjust execution of the one person you had placed your hope in for a bright future and a peaceful present. And you thought it was all true. And now you're left confused and unsure and afraid and You don't know what to believe. You're a believer in God, but you don't know what to believe about this God anymore, and you're not sure whether you can trust Him in the dark places. You're not sure if you can trust Him. It sure feels like He's betrayed trust. What would be your response? You know, we sometimes romanticize the Bible, and we demonize the present in ways that are just not accurate. We romanticize the Bible in a way that we imagine that the level of skepticism and doubt that's in the world today was something of today's making and not part of ancient history. We think that this skepticism of God is unique and exponentially increased in our day, but that would be a false assumption. If the words of the gospel teach us anything that we're going to look at today, it teaches us that skeptics and doubters existed from the beginning. Even among some of the disciples who, imagine this, are staring at the resurrected Jesus. They're looking at him. And we read these words in the account of Matthew's gospel. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Wait a minute. Time out. They're looking at the resurrected Christ. But some doubted. You see, there has always been a doubters club. Always. So enter the most famous of them all, right? Who we are going to talk about today? Thomas. Very good. When you leave here today, the ushers will give you a prize. I have no idea what it is. They'll give you something. John, did you hear that? Give them something. There he is. All right. I don't know what it is. And if you don't get anything, blame the ushers. All right. <laughs> The word of the Lord to us today is rather unsettling and amazing and bizarre and wonderful all wrapped up together. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 20 beginning with verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, shalom. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Hear that, church. As the Father has sent Jesus, He is sending us. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. But then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are all those people sitting in community chapel today who have not seen, yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, by believing, by believing, you may have life. Hear that. You may have zoe is the term. The fullness of life, what life actually means by believing in him. Every person, every one of us here, belongs to the doubters club at some point. At some point in my life, in your life, in our lives, we come face to face with doubts. And doubts can bury us. Today we walk with the famous one, the Doubting Thomas. Next week we walk with the nearly unknown ones who walk along what we call the road to Emmaus. We'll talk next week about what the pain of this world, what this awful world sometimes it seems does to us at the point of faith and doubt. But doubts are also something else. I sat with him in Starbucks and we were talking and he was giving me his litany of his doubts after his mother had died. And I looked at him and I said, I thank God for your doubts and your faith. And he looked at me in puzzlement. He said, what are you talking about my faith? Doubts, you see, are also evidence of the seed of faith. For if we did not have a seat of faith, why would we have reason to even express doubts about God? So our doubts have an element of faith to them. And as I said, Thomas is the disciple that we attach doubt to. But what we have dubbed as his doubting actually led to his believing. The resurrected Christ, the living Christ, the Christ you've been singing about, I've been singing about today, is not afraid of our doubts. Hear that. Don't hide your doubts. One of the sins of the church, I think, is that we have tried to tamper down the doubts. When God's not afraid of them, the invitation is to search for God honestly in the doubts. And there we discover that he really is alive because honest doubt is a result of a longing faith. You see, if I was sitting in that room that first night, that first Easter night, I wouldn't want any kind of pat answer. I wouldn't want a safe answer that just made me feel good. I certainly would want to believe something better than, oh, well, you know, it was a good run while we had it. Jesus is dead. Let's go do something else. But I would also want proof. I would want proof that he is bodily undead. He was dead, then he was undead. We call that resurrection. But I'd want proof that he was bodily resurrected. The Quaker Elton Trueblood said this, faith isn't belief without proof but trust without reservation it's a good word for us today but this upper room scene you know they take it a little too far i think who would even want to see the wounds of jesus you know those people who walk up to you following their surgery or receiving stitches and they say hey you want to see i have a question what's wrong with those people And what about those people who walk up to the person who's had the surgery or the stitches and they say, can I get a look? What's wrong with those people? The Lord initially showed these wounds to the disciples in the absence of Thomas. And I wonder if any of those disciples asked the question, hey, Jesus, can I get a look? If any of them did, it was Peter. And then there's Thomas. He wanted to see. But think about it, wouldn't you? Yes, we call him the Doubting Thomas, but we negatively stereotype others in his name. And what Thomas was, was Thomas was a realist. Thomas lived in the place we live. Every day. A place that can paralyze us that place that is difficult between unbelief and belief, this liminal space where our unbelief is trying to catch up to our belief. An internet poet and critic of the digital age, Alan Sonheim, said this, The fears of the digital age do not make it into Holy Scripture, but they are very real. Listen to his statement. I fear that I have never been able to believe and I fear that I have wanted to believe something, anything. That's our world. This place which says I want to believe while also saying, I don't know, I'm not sure I can. Am I the type of person, are you the type of person who's going to ask, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless it all makes sense to me, unless I can have a safe answer to it all, unless I have proof positive? You see, wasn't Thomas just really saying, show me the reality of what you're saying? Wasn't he really just saying, I want to see Easter too. I want to see it played out in real life. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow was not enough for Thomas. He wanted to know that if he lives, he can deal with it now. He can deal with life now. And I believe Thomas wanted to badly believe the others But his world was so rocked, he couldn't even believe his best friends. They didn't even seem reliable. Show me the marks. Show me the wounds. Don't just tell me the truth. Show me the truth. And so Jesus did. I love that about Jesus. Think about it. Jesus has this grand entrance that first Sunday night. But he comes back in that same space, same room, saying the same things for the one who was doubting the most. I don't know about you, but that says something to me about how God searches me in my doubts. Do you doubt God? Here's the good news. God's searching for you. God's coming to you. God's not afraid of them. And I think that's good news. And I also think Jesus is showing today the truth of his resurrection to us. It's not enough for it to be a one-off once a year. Not enough to say he has risen on Easter Sunday and say, let's hold that tight till next Easter Sunday. We should be declaring that in the middle of the darkest winter day, whether physically or in our souls. He is risen. Because Jesus is showing the truth of his reality today, just as when he showed the marks to Thomas. Think about that in your life right now. How is Jesus showing the reality of resurrection today in your life, in my life? Two years ago on Easter Sunday, my dad died. Last Sunday night, my latest granddaughter was born. And my sister sent a text that said, Easter Redemption. You know what I believe? I believe that's a symbol to me of new life. To the one, Jesus shows himself this way. The person says, you know, the life of my friend is changed. I can't explain it, but their attitude and their life and lifestyle has changed since they put their faith in Jesus as they put it. And Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. To another, how does my coworker do it? They, they have been treated in such an awful way and all they can talk about is their need to figure out how to forgive. And to love. And Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. Or maybe it's this way. My world of reason and logic is so safe, but the deepest answers elude me. My reason and knowledge betray me. I want to believe, but I'm not just so sure I can. I I watch in disbelief, though. As a family I know, beyond reason, gives up so much that the world has to offer To follow Jesus. But here's the thing that's bothering me. It's the smile on their face in the middle of it. And Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. You see, Jesus is showing the proof of his resurrection by people like you and me. In this world. That's why new creation isn't something we're waiting for. New creation is something we're living in and out and towards. That's why you need to attend that journey group on the book of Revelation. That's happening. Those seven churches. Not so you can figure out how it's all gonna end. Let's figure out how to live in the present and the end will take care of itself. Looking for the way of salvation? Are you looking for the way of salvation? Well, let me let you in on a little secret. We all are. Every single human being. Is looking. We all want to figure it out. We all are like the masses that follow Jesus. The scripture and the life of Jesus is so applicable to today. The masses followed him and they said this to him, what must we do to do the works God requires? We all want to do that. We want to figure out how we can figure it out. How we can figure it out on our own way, in our own schematic, in our own system, in our own choices, and the way we want it to be. We want to figure out how can I please God and how can I save myself and how can I get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. We all want to figure it out. But now we can know the way because God tells us, What to do through the words of his son, Jesus. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe. To believe. We locate it too much in the intellect and in the emotions. We say that's all just what you think, or we say that's all just what you feel, but that's not what it's about. It's belief that puts the full weight of who I am on Jesus and on the truth of his resurrection. And it's in that, in him, that we find the strength we need. Let's not make any doubt about it. It can be a struggle to look past people and circumstances Society and culture. Possessions and comforts. And sometimes it's even a struggle to look beyond the church. And to look to trust in Jesus. It's so easy to be fogged in by so much that prevents me from doing the single most important thing. Believing in Jesus and bringing the details of my life to him. Including him in the details. But the gospel is simply this. These are the last words we read when we read the gospel of John. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name. Believing. That is what it takes to discover the most momentous truth and to live in his life. By believing... You may have life in his name. I know. Maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you're watching online. You're saying, I know all that. I know all that. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe in the living Christ? And Are you really discovering his life? Because I don't think this is a question for some kind of, you know, let's pray a prayer and let's make some kind of transaction with God. I believe this prayer grows. It starts with this initial, I don't understand it all, Jesus, but all I know is that I can't escape the facts of who you are. And I trust you to forgive me of my sins and give me life. And then it grows as we grow in life. And we go, Jesus, I don't know if I can understand what's happening in my life. But I'm just believing in you. Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do about this cancer. But Jesus, I'm believing in you. Jesus, this loss is crushing me. I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. But Jesus, I don't know. I'm doubting we can get through it. But I'm believing in you. That's how powerful this is. And it changes life. I'm glad you're part of the Doubters Club. I'm glad there's some others with me. But let me introduce you to some others through history. We'll just just say Thomas is the first. He's the charter member. All right? There's so many, but let me just share a couple with you. People who pursued the resolution of their doubts with intellectual honesty and then let them, led them to an honest faith. The faith of doubt. First, there's Simon Greenleaf, this good-looking fellow right there. Simon Greenleaf was one of the founders of Harvard Law School. And he was adamantly opposed to Christianity and the resurrection. And he wanted to dismantle and disprove the resurrection. So he was an expert, by the way, in the evidentiary process of law. In evidence. He knew how to use it. So he said, I'm going to take that and I'm going to apply that to the Gospels. And the evidence of the resurrection. And this is what happened to Simon Gladwell. He ended up changing his mind and writing an essay called An Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists by the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Courts of Justice. Sounds like light reading. And this is what he concluded. It was impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths They had narrated, had not Jesus Christ actually risen from the dead. And then there's another man. He called God his adversary. He was his adversary in the intellectual battle for his soul. And this is how he put it he said, I had always wanted, above all things, not to be interfered with. (laughs) Guilty as charged. How about you? (laughs) Right? I had always wanted, above all things, not to be interfered with. And listen to this. I had wanted to call my soul my own. But God pursued C.S. Lewis. And would not give up. And finally, when he was actually away from Oxford teaching in another place, he was in a room. And every time he'd go in that room, by himself, God would speak. Pick up the little book, Surprised by Joy. It's his testimony. And he says, you must picture me alone in that room, night after night, whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. (laughs) He was set on not placing his faith in God. Then he says, I finally gave in. And admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. And perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Love that. But he was honest. He was honest about his doubt. And he said, intellectually, whether I feel this or not. In fact, he was very suspect of emotion. But he was very honest. And then perhaps you know Malcolm Gladwell. Go ahead and put that picture up there. See, that's what my hair is going to look like in heaven, just like that. (laughs) Love that. Malcolm Gladwell is an author, current author, uh, journalist, and uh, a, a book writer, written a number of books. He was doing research on a book, and he met this family whose daughter had been murdered. Gladwell had walked away from his faith. He had pursued a secular way of life and living and thought. But then he sat with the Dirksen family, the mother and father, whose daughter had been murdered. And this is what he discovered. He said, Something happened to me when I sat in Wilma Dirksen's garden. An otherwise very ordinary person in the backyard of a very ordinary house and who has managed to do something utterly extraordinary. Their daughter was murdered, and the first thing the Durkins did was to stand up and talk about the path of forgiveness. He asked them, do you want to meet the murderer? And their response was, we would like to meet him so that we can can try to understand, but also to let him know that God loves him wants to forgive them. And as a result of that, Gladwell turned his life back to Christ. Last one is Jordan Monge. I invite you to Google her. She was an adamant atheist from the time she was six years old. (laughs) She would debate her friends. She was so intellectually astute. She would debate her friends who were Christians, and she did that all through high school. In high school, she was ferocious, fierce in her debating of God with her friends. She then went to Harvard and took a political science degree, and she went there debating, but something happened. She met Christians who could present to her an intellectual argument. And she began to decide. She was having a problem as an atheist. And her fundamental problem as an atheist was she believed in the inherent dignity of human beings. And atheism is rooted often in naturalism, which says there's no dignity in a human being. And she couldn't reconcile those. She's trying to figure that out. She wanted the Bible to be true. She wanted to believe these things. But the intellectual arguments were hard for her, so she plunged headlong into studying and reading and devouring. She read the Quran, she read Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. She went through the skeptics' annotated Bible, and then she looked up Christian rebuttals to apparent contradictions. But then she started to read from the Christian tradition of intellects. She argued with her peers, but she never really dug down deep in the works of people like this. Augustine, Anselm, Aquinas, Descartes, Kant, Pascal, and C.S. Lewis. And then she said this. When I finally did, the only reasonable course of action was to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I committed my life to Christ on Easter Sunday, 2009, and was baptized. Never once did I have to sacrifice my intellect for my faith. When confronted with the overwhelming body of evidence I encountered, when facing down the living God, it was the only rational course of action. I love this statement. I came to Harvard seeking veritas, truth. Instead, He found me. The faith of doubt. By now you know that I'm a Dallas Willard fan. And Dallas Willard said this. If you can find a better way than Jesus Christ offers, he would be the first person to tell you to take it. And if you don't believe that about him, then you can't be a disciple of his because you could never trust him. Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. So if there's a better way than Jesus, the first person in line to say to you, you should follow that way, will be Jesus. But as Francis Schaeffer said, there's only one reason to be a Christian, because it's true. Why does all this matter today? Because believing in the proven realities found in Christ can lead us through the tangible difficulties found in life. Hear that again. Believing in the proven realities found in Christ can lead us through the tangible difficulties found in life. But I want to caution you. I wrote down, it may require you to take a risk, and that's not accurate. It will require that you take a risk. It will mean being uncomfortable some days. It will be times when you stare at your doubts and you hold on to your belief with not one stitch of emotion. But with an act of the will. But it is there like Thomas, you will see the Lord and you may very well hear, peace be with you. And you know, it's amazing what you can do when you live in his peace. It's amazing what you can face. It's amazing what doubts you can sit with when you have his life. When there's no answers, when the doubts are heavy, when the losses are great. We'll come back to that next week. But that's the faith of doubt. When we let our doubts chase us to the God who is alive and meets us for one reason, it's true. The tomb is really empty. He really is alive. Everything he said is true. And so, my friends, members of the Doubters Club, instituted in the first century by Thomas the disciple, welcome to faith in the living God. Our worship team is going to come, and as we close today, this is what we're going to do. We're going to declare our belief in singing The song This I Believe, which is a song that puts the Apostles' Creed to music. Now, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, honestly. Even if you tell me, the one who really knows where you are is the very present Jesus and His Holy Spirit. I don't know where you are, I don't know where you are in your doubts. But I wanna say this, wherever you are on the spiritual spectrum, you are welcome here. Because Jesus welcomes us here, right? Wherever you are. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to hit the reset button. I I want you to try to not put all your stock in some profession you made. In another day or a year, but rather afresh, declare belief in Jesus right where you are. Let's shove aside all the buildup. Sometimes I think we as Christians have buildup of religious experience and tradition and stuff that prevents us from actually living in the power of God's presence in our lives. And, We put so many other things in priority and we forget that the priority is if you believe in him, you will have life in his name, in his character, in his personhood. And we think so many other things are more important. But today, my friends, I invite you to believe. To believe in Jesus afresh. Let's stand together let's sing our belief if for you today starting afresh means just coming and kneeling and starting afresh in your belief doesn't mean you're not a Christian it just means you're resetting the button or maybe today's the day for the first time you say I'm gonna believe And if for you it's helpful to come and kneel, there's nothing magical about this altar, but if it's helpful for you to come and kneel, then just come. No one's going to say anything to you. We're going to invite you just to talk to God. Each one of us, let's just talk to God. Lord, just be with us now as we sing. May we, Lord, just look to you and say, our Lord and our God, and may we hear you say, Peace be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to just ask you do you believe? Do you believe? Believing in his name, we find life for today. Welcome to the Doubters Club, let us walk in faith in the one who meets us right where we are. As you go today, go in his name and there find life. Thanks be to God. Greet one another as you go in the name of our risen Lord.